the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 873 for Monday, Memorial Day, May 31st, 2021. <music> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We take all of that stuff. We mash it all together. We loosely form it into an agenda. Actually, we we form it into quite a well-formed agenda. We just loosely follow that agenda because the goal is for each and every one of us to not suffer from seasonal allergies with pollen in their throats. But also, the goal is for each of us, you, me, John, each of us to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include linode.com slash MGG and fastmail.com slash MGG. I can't wait to tell you actually about both of those uh, for a few reasons that you'll hear about later in the episode. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Brown. How are we? Other than seasonal allergies and pollen, how are we today, Mr. John F. Braun? Fantastic. Lantastic. I like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, um, let's see if we can find some quick tips to share. Petter brings us the, uh, the first one. Petter says, for years, iTunes, of course, now music, uh, has had the mini player that disabled or took over instead of the main music window and shows you album art in addition to either lyrics or whatever is up next. But did you know that that mini player can go to full screen with an animated background and the live lyrics feature? He says, I just noticed it blew my mind. I had no idea. That's pretty cool. Thanks for uh, for sharing that. That's I like it. That's good. John, you've got like big trucks rolling by. It's amazing. I feel, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I'm in the big city. That's pretty yeah. cool. Well, I'm, I'm on the main drag here. Yeah, So for sure. For sure. Cool. Thanks for that, Petter. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, uh, the next quick tip, John, comes from listener Raymond, who shares, uh, he says, I had a problem with my AirPods where the right side was very low volume. It had worked uh, in the morning, but one afternoon, it was low. I tried all the stuff Apple says with forgetting the AirPods, repairing them, no luck. I even tried to contact Apple first uh, with the little messenger thing, which is great. A great way to do support through the, uh, you can do it through the support app or the, the messages app eventually. And uh, and that failed because Apple said his serial number was not correct. And he went through quite a few steps where Apple kept saying his serial number was not correct, even though, you know. Like serial number was there. He could show it to him in any event. He says later I did a search online and uh, about my problem. And I got a link to a discussion forum post at Apple where I found the fix to my problem. He says this is going to sound weird and strange, but it works. Several people on the Apple community had the same problem. As I had, and one person had the fix. Get this. He says, take the AirPod and suck on the large opening, and that will fix it. Maybe it was earwax, a.k.a. ceramine, uh, or whatever. He says, but I tried it, and it fixed my AirPod. Now, I do have a lot of earwax, he says, but none came out when I did this. Strange but easy fix. Apple should know this. 
So he says, so who cares if my serial number is not found by, by Apple? I fixed the problem. That's crazy. Yeah, it could be that there was some earwax in there, certainly. Um, it could also be, I, I think that the AirPods are dynamic drivers, not balanced armatures. So it's possible that like the speaker, like the, the driver had just gotten misshapen. And by applying a little negative pressure, it popped it back into shape, which then allowed it to move air more properly and, and balance with both ears. So, hey, whatever it is, that's a good fix. I like that, Raymond. That's pretty good, man. <laughs> so you can suck the suck right out of your AirPods. I like it. It's good. Yeah, some uh, like the ones I have here actually have a little kit that you can use to clear out the uh, well, at least the uh, the ear portion, not the. Uh, well, I suppose you could stick it in inside of it, though, with these. I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. And AirPods have a screen real close to the the like the the the, the tip of the opening. So, I, I mean, you could certainly scrape out any like earwax or other gunk that's in there. But I don't. Like, yeah, I don't, I, there's not a, there's not a kit. Like, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have it with like my, my custom in-ears. I always have to like, you know, clean the earwax out of them and stuff. But um, yeah, interesting. I, yeah, it's pretty good. Sucking it out of there. It, it These things do like putting things in your ears, get used to dealing with earwax, whether or not that was Raymond's problem. It is just a normal fact of, of life of using these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it, it, it is really important to keep them clean. Uh, so yeah, there you go. All right. Um, let's talk about batteries here, John. Uh, we'll start with Ben who shares a, um, a, a, a well, has a question about his MacBook. Uh, he says my client or a client's MacBook. Sorry. He says a client of mine has been having problems with his, uh, spring 2020 macbook air battery not charging consistently and sometimes depleting to unusual levels he's not been using optimized battery charging because big sur does not seem to be managing this appropriately on his mac but it doesn't matter here's his latest observation he says the battery starts to lose power in the early afternoon this is a window of time we're clicking on the battery icon in the uh menu bar there's an option to charge to full now which shouldn't be happening if big sir's optimized battery charging is turned off so that's an interesting sign uh he says this does seem to allow the battery to charge somewhat however that option disappears later i don't know if that's a daily cycle thing or an option that you can choose only once i continue to not use the optimized battery charging option we have previously tried smc resets because this is an intel mac uh that have sometimes resolved the battery drain and allowed the computer to charge its battery back to full on its own but not permanently my client keeps his mac plugged into power most of the time because it's at his desk connected to his uh, owc thunderbolt dock for all of his peripherals as well as an apple thunderbolt display my encouragement has been that he contact apple care with all this evidence but he resists because of the frequent tedium of doing so. Uh, he says, putting the computer to sleep does seem to help the battery recover, but the battery is always at 100% in the morning. Still, in the late afternoon or evening, it can dip into the 40s or 50s, even though it's been on charge all day. And the trucks continue to roll by. That's good. Um, Progress. Yes, that's right. So, that's this is interesting, John. I am... Um, I'm not sure what to make of this. Uh, it certainly seems like the 
OS thinks it should be managing the battery differently. Uh, I would try, you know, I would try running coconut battery on this. Uh, it's just a little utility that, that reads the status of the battery and shares it to, with you. That might, if there's something wrong with the battery, like it's, it's factory capacity has dropped or something that might tell you, we'll put a link in the show notes at, uh, at MacGeekab.com, which you can also sign up for the email and get the show notes in your email at MacGeekab.com. But, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for coconut battery to try, um, you know, I would have said an SMC reset, a PRAM reset. It almost seems like Big Sur is confused. If it's not like it feels like it's stuck in in, you know, optimized battery charging mode. I don't know. What do you think, John? Um, I like the Apple Care suggestion. Something I think something's wrong with that battery, to be honest. And it's trying to deal with it as best it can. But yeah. Yeah, you know, bad cell or something like that. It maybe, yeah, or the OS is confused. Like it, it and Apple Care may tell you, you know, do a nuke and pave on that before you send it in, and so that would mm-hmm. would isolate whether or not it's the OS versus the 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 thing. You could do a reinstall of the latest update to Big Sur. Um, that would be another way of of potentially you know getting there. So, all right. Uh, let's see, John, I had an, a battery issue in the last episode that I mentioned with my iPhone where things were draining, uh, precipitously during the day, even when I wasn't using it, but it was only happening at home. Very, very strange. Uh, and so, uh, we, um, I, I, I thought that maybe turning off, uh, you know, location services for like home kit and things like that in case there were uh, some geofences that I had forgotten about or couldn't find would do it. I will tell you it did not. Uh, but I think I've found a fix and I think listener Ben might have also stumbled on. Well, I think Ben's going to tell us that this is a workaround and not a fix and he uh, might not be wrong, but, but his name's not Ben. His name's Matt. Ben was the last one. So Matt, thank you. Uh, he says, I just listened and was excited to hear that Dave, you have the same problem I'm having with my iPhone 12 pro battery. So mine is a 12 mini. His is a 12 pro he says it only drains excessively at home and on Wi-Fi. At home on Wi-Fi, I've seen battery drainage of at least 7 to 10% per hour with minimal to no use of the phone at all. It just sits on my desk and I can see the battery usage chart show a scary rapid decline. Yes, exactly the same for me. Uh, he says, if I travel anywhere else, including being on Wi-Fi, my battery drainage stabilizes to a normal like 3% per hour. That's not fantastic, but it's definitely much better. He says, I've done Google searching up the wazoo and haven't found many specific cases that mimic what I'm seeing. Like you, I also thought it must have something to do with the location setting. Uh, but for me, turning off those didn't help. Okay, same. Uh, he says, I've also tried limiting background updates, etc., etc. Uh, he says, I even drew a pentagram on the floor with candles and sacrificed a chicken to appease the angry iPhone gods, but all to no avail. He says, uh, what I found actually helped, much to my surprise was resetting my network settings. And this is the same thing I wound up doing over the weekend, and it worked. Uh, he says, that forces me to re-enter all of my Wi-Fi passwords again. I'll, I'll get to that, because it, it shouldn't. Uh, he says, uh, and reset some cellular settings. But it does have a noticeable improvement on the battery drainage problem, at least for a while. After resetting network settings and using my home Wi-Fi, I see the battery drainage go back to the usual 3% per hour with minimal usage. 
It doesn't seem to last very long for him. He says, I find that sometimes when I leave and come back to my house, if I don't use a Wi-Fi network in between, the battery will stay good. But if I say go to my office and use the office Wi-Fi and then come back home, the fast battery drain will start again. Even then, however, the pattern isn't 100% consistent. He says, I'm sure resetting network settings is just masking whatever the real issue is, but uh, but at least it helps. So I found exactly the same thing. Mine has not returned to the precipitous battery drain at home, um, but I don't know. I've been out and about, but I don't think I've been on Wi-Fi networks anywhere out. So that might not, I, I may not have, I, I haven't tested it the same way Matt has. But um, but as far as it making you reenter all of your Wi-Fi passwords, if you are using iCloud Keychain, that is not going to be the case. When you reset network settings, it wipes everything out of your phone. But it does um, as soon as you as soon as I sign back into a network, including a cellular network, and it resynced with um, with uh, you know iCloud Keychain, it pulled all of my Wi-Fi network passwords back down again. So, uh, so it, that's how it's supposed to work. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious, though, what is what is triggering this? I have a couple of VPNs installed on my phone. I don't have any of them set to go automatically, but maybe there's some magic mix. This hasn't always been the case. It, it seems to have started, you know, in the last month and a half, maybe, maybe more than that, but not too much more than certainly 2021, not 2020. So it's not an iOS 14 mm -hmm. thing, but it might be an iOS 14 point something mm -hmm. thing. I don't know. What do you think, Mr. Braun? Or an AirTag thing? I don't know. You know. What, what new things have you added here and there? That is an interesting thought because it certainly. Because you had issues with your tile. It would seem to be spending an inordinate amount of time, but. I mean, obviously, you could just look at battery and see how much uh, how many, how much find my is is using. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. It, it, yeah, and and find my hasn't shown up terribly much. I did see one app. It was weird. It was um, this app that I used to track. It's called Day Count. Uh, I don't think the app is the problem, but again, I you know I could be wrong. Uh, but it, it in the uh, in the battery you know, usage thing. It was saying uh, that day count was using lots of time in the background. Now this is an app that does nothing in the background. Uh, and after I reset network settings, it stopped reporting that. So I feel like whatever it was, was being misapplied to this app called day count day counts, an app that, that either tracks the number of days until a certain event. So like if you're planning a vacation or something, you can say, Oh, it's going to be, you know, 42 days until I go away. Uh, or it tracks the number of days since an event like, you know, I've I stopped smoke. I haven't ever smoked cigarettes, but as an example, uh, you know, I stopped smoking, you know, 382 days ago or whatever it was. Right. Like you can track these kinds of things with day count. Uh, and it was applying lots of background or reporting, lots of background activity for it. But I don't think that was the app that was doing it. I think it was miss. I think it was something in the background. I don't know what it was but I don't think it was day count. Although I guess if it, if it resurfaces, I will look and I will find out. I could always delete day count, but I, I have some things I track with it, which I kind of like. So yeah. Um, I don't know what, yeah, but you might be right about air tags, John. That could be the thing. Interesting. 
Yeah, looking at my battery, so the thing that uses the most time, which isn't a surprise, uh, is Pokemon. Number two is exposure notifications. That's weird. Never seen that so high on the list. And then Find My is number three on my phone currently. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. All right. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Exposure notifications. That's the, the, like the COVID tracker thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've never, uh, never gotten any message from it, but <clears throat> I guess it's talking to others to make sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Huh? All right. Um, on the subject of, so thank you for that, Matt. And let's, we'll see, we'll, uh, you know, we'll keep everybody posted as to uh, where we wind up with this and where I wind up with it, because it seems like I'm not alone. Uh, Paul added to this conversation by saying one possible issue with battery uh, drain while at home is if you have iMazing doing backups on Wi-Fi. He says, I think for me it was, um, if charging it on Wi-Fi, it did daily or weekly backups for a while. He says, I started having it do it when it would start on when it was plugged in and then continue on battery and really drain it. Yeah. I found some issues with iMazing doing this as well. Uh, when I realized it was the tile app causing problems and I turned off my, my iMazing Wi-Fi backups uh, for exactly that reason and stopped iMazing from running in the background of my computer just in case. So I don't think that's it for me, but Definitely amazing. Uh, depending on how you have it set, uh, it can definitely cause uh, some battery drain because if it's if it's slurping, I had an issue, a weird issue with amazing where I had to uninstall and reinstall because it was um, and I think I reported it here on the show. Uh, I definitely reported it to them. I just can't remember if we talked about it here. Um, trying to ride your volume knob to keep the, the trucks at bay. But um, the uh, the I I wound up it we, like it would finish a backup and immediately start another one with iMazing and it was just causing my battery to plummet but um but it's not running anymore on my computer so there you go so all right we've got um we've got all kinds of questions we've got some follow-ups from the last episode more follow-ups from the last episode john's going to tell us about juice jacking uh the next thing that I want to do though if uh if we're done on this one John is is uh I want to share our two sponsors. Cool. All right. Our first sponsor is Fastmail and I couldn't be happier with Fastmail. Yes, of course I'm happy that they are a sponsor, but I meant what I said. I couldn't be happier with Fastmail and that's because after years, probably over a decade of being inside of Google's email ecosystem, I have moved my primary email over to Fastmail. And I'll say it again, I couldn't be happier with Fastmail. They make it super simple. They made it super simple for me. Yes, you can get super geeky with their stuff, but they understand that for most of what most of us do with email, simple is great. Their migration from Gmail was as simple as telling it, go migrate my stuff from Gmail. And it took care of it all. It was amazing. I've never seen an email migration work this well. There's, I say, I've never seen a migration of any kind work this well. And one really nice part about Fastmail, you don't have to trade privacy for productivity. 
Fastmail for over 20 years has been a leader in email privacy, and the team there at Fastmail believes in working for you, a customer, as a person to be cared for, not a product to be exploited. This is huge. Very cool stuff, and it works so well. It works well with my Mac, obviously, my iPhone, everything. And they have not just mail. like They they are a calendar server and a contact server, so you can use them for all of that if you want to. If you want to use a custom domain, they make that work super easily as well. Really, and that's what I'm doing. Like It's very simple, and you can be part of the very best in email just like me. Try FastMail free for 30 days and then get 10% off your first year at FastMail.com slash MGG. Please go check it out. Do yourself a favor. FastMail.com slash MGG. Our thanks to FastMail for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Linode. Look. We're geeks here. There are times when we're going to need servers. Linode allows you to get a server up and running in under a minute. I know this sounds too good to be true, but it's true. You can get a server running in less time than it's going to take for me to tell you that you can get a server running. And what's cool is you don't have to leave the server running all the time. And if you don't, then you take advantage of Linode's tiered billing, right? They have hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans. And then they have add-on services that include backups and node balancers and long view, 24-7 friendly support by phone humans. There are no tiers with customer service. There's no handoffs, regardless of your plan size. And what's cool is like, you know, we talk on the show all the time about like running a VPN or running a Docker container or running an encrypted disk Well, these are the kinds of things that you could do with Linode. You can also run like a Plex server on Linode if you wanted. You can run a Minecraft server. You can run a web server. You can run WordPress. All this stuff is yours for the taking over there. And even better, speaking of what's yours, you can get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit just because you're a Mac Geekab listener. You can find all the details at Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash M-G-G. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode, then you can check it out. Again, $100 in free credit. Just visit Linode.com slash M-G-G. Our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, you want to uh, you want to tell us about juice jacking, my friend? Yes. So uh, John writes in and says, I'd like to get your take on USB data blockers, not necessarily the ones shown below, but your comments on whether this is a valid issue. When I traveled, I hope I can again. My VPN is almost always on, but I am I still vulnerable to this juice hacking? Um, and it's also called juice jacking. So um, what is it, Dave? Um, I've seen variations of this throughout the years um, in that someone's offer offers a free USB drive is one variation of this or a charging port, um, but has modified it to either steal data or install malware. Um, and people even did this with DVDs as well. You could um, on most older versions of an operating system, if you, yeah, it, there would be a file that would, once the device was was inserted, it would like auto launch, you know, some app or, or malware or something like that. Um, the thing he's talking about is someone in theory, and I haven't heard of this happening in the wild, uh, whereas I have heard about other things like, you know, uh, credit card skimmers and all that. But um, so what the data blocker, 
you may see a USB port and someone offers it as a free charging port, but um, the data lines are also hooked up. Um, and so what happens is when you plug into it, rather than just receiving power, because both power and data go through USB, um, they may try to get into your phone and steal your data or install malware. <clears throat> right. So what these data blockers do is they basically disable uh, those two pins. So the advice here could be don't use a strange free charger, even in a a public place, because somebody may have rigged it, you know, like the uh, um, credit card skimmers that you hear about every now and then. If somebody attaches it to a gas pump or ATM and and gets your data. So don't. Yeah. Use your own power, uh, your own charging source, um, I guess would be my suggestion. It, it wouldn't we I, I think you're like it, it, in in terms of like mitigating risk, you are absolutely right. However, I think Apple kind of has our backs here because when I plug a new not a charging source, but or not a charging only source, I should clarify. But when I plug a data source into my phone, the phone asks me do you want to trust this device? Right. And if I'm plugging into some rando charging port, I'm definitely, well, first thing I'm going to do is unplug it. And I'm going to say, no, like don't trust. Cause if it should just be a charging port and it asks you, do you want to trust? You don't need to trust power. I mean, you do, but your phone's not going to ask you if you want to trust power. So I, I, it, as long as you're running and I think this started in like iOS 11 or something, I, I think Apple has our backs on juice jackers. So, yeah, 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 typically. And um, I mean, the other thing would be, you know, if you're. Uh, um, would that apply to. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could do this on a Mac as well, but uh, there are tools like a uh, hardware growler that'll show you if you plug in a cable. Oh, by the way, this is USB. Um, right. If it's right. just charging, you're not going to get any sort of uh, report. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, something to be aware of, just like, you know, free Wi-Fi. You should probably use a VPN and you do. So uh, watch out for free power sources. Right. And and in terms of VPNs, if you're on free Wi-Fi, but you're using a free VPN, you may not be as safe as you think, right? The free VPNs do have to pay for their services somehow. And it often involves selling your data or selling your habits, I should say, or somehow monetizing you. Like if you're not paying, you are the product. I think is, is the way to, to look at that. So there are some exceptions to that, but by in general. Yeah. So, all right. You want to take right, us to uh, Bill? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know about this one. Let's see. Um, I have a device. What is the device? That has both an internal SSD and an attached external SSD. I have enabled access both drives in the Finder and with the device's app. Uh, the device worked flawlessly, but now neither the app nor the Finder can locate either drive. It no longer shows up on my N1 Mac Mini in the Finder or the app's Disk Explorer, making the device unusable. The device and its drives are visible in my four other Mac OS and iOS machines. I've reinstalled the device's app and restarted the M1 Mac Mini with no results. Any idea as to why it's just my Mac Mini that will not recognize these? 
Um, Interesting. Yeah, my other Mac OS and iOS. Uh, okay. Um, and the only idea I got here, Dave, um, is look at the startup security utility. Fair. Yeah. I mean, that potentially, there, there's a setting in startup security utility. And I've been there recently, but I have mine set up as uh, medium. So you can have like high, medium, and low as far as uh, devices that will recognize. So change that setting and see if it if it fixes it. It could be the random bit flip. You know, it these could be. Happen. Yeah, I mean, that, that, and I'm trying to remember what that's like on an M1 versus an Intel Mac, but, but there, it, it's similar. I know it's not the same, but even still, like, that's only for booting, not for accessing ex- external drives. I would look in the assuming this is a USB device. And again, like you said, we're we're talking about a device pretty generically here, which makes troubleshooting interesting. Uh, but it, let's assume it's a USB device. Look in system information on your Mac and see if it appears or if it's a Thunderbolt device. Look in system information, Thunderbolt and see if it appears, uh, because that will tell you. If your Mac is even getting a signal from this device, and if it is, but it's not mounting, then, you know, maybe you've got some kind of software problem where the driver's not right or, you know, you might need to reinstall Mac OS. But if it's not appearing there, then it could be whatever path you're taking. If it's not plugged directly in, if you're going through a hub, check the hub like that. That's that's what comes to mind for me. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. The setting I was thinking of. So in that utility, there is a external boot setting and you can set it to disallow booting from external media. I wonder if, if that is activated, it may be. Yeah. Again, that's just for booting. I mean, you're right. Like it could be something just malfunctioning, Um, Mm. but M ones don't generally like booting an M one from an external is, is different let's say. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hopefully one of those things we suggested will help. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's see. Listener John brings us a question about, uh, about ports and such. He says, uh, like many people, I'm getting a new 24 inch iMac. Uh, he says, so I'm jumping from Thunderbolt, uh, on whatever Mac he had before that to Thunderbolt four and or USB C or is it USB three or is it USB four? He says, I'm totally confused as to what kind of connectors and cables and devices I have. He says, I have a Thunderbolt two drive that I would like to connect uh, just to get some data off it. I'm not going to do a migration, but I want to copy some data from that clone. Then he says, I want to replace that drive with a new Thunderbolt 4 drive. Is it a Thunderbolt 3 drive? What do I want? Question about drives. He says, I don't need a portable and I don't need it waterproof, but I want an SSD and I want speed. So I have two major questions. Are you aware? uh, How can you help me understand the ports and the cables? And can you recommend a one terabyte SSD suitable for a desktop? Yeah. Okay. So let's start with... um, with with your devices usb uh has letters and numbers after it the letters describe the shape 
of either the port or the, the connector on the cable. So the, the, the shape of the connector is what the letters describe. So USB-C is that connector. USB-A is different connector. USB-B, mini USB. Well, it's not a letter, but it, it sort of is actually. There's a letter after it. It's usually micro USB-B, I think. But, um, but the letters describe the shape of the cable. The numbers describe the capabilities. So your new iMac has uh, USB-C ports. And it either has two or four of them. Um, I don't know which model you're getting. If it only has two, then those two USB-C ports are both USB and Thunderbolt ports. And it's fair to call them USB 4 slash Thunderbolt 4 ports. Uh, Really, it's Thunderbolt 3 with all capabilities. But, you know, that's how it goes. We'll put a link in the show notes to where Larry O'Connor from OWC explained this to us. But basically, that's the net of it. If your iMac has four ports, two of them are Thunderbolt capable and two of them are not. Two of them are just USB ports, but they all are USB-C ports. They just have little uh, etchings on the back to show you which are Thunderbolt capable and which are not. Um, And those are Thunderbolt. All Thunderbolt is backwards and forwards compatible in terms of, of drives. Like I've been able to hook a Thunderbolt three drive up to my Thunderbolt two Mac um, using Apple's Thunderbolt two to USB C adapter. It is Apple's adapter is bi-directional. Everyone else that makes one of those adapters only goes in one direction. So you definitely want Apple's for this stuff. And we'll put a link in the show notes to that. Um, so you'll be able to connect your devices, uh, your old devices up, no problem. Your new devices up, no problem. Uh, it, like you're going to be in good shape. And I know this is confusing, but the good news is it's actually less confusing than it appears. That's the best way I can say it. Uh, in terms of a drive, you can certainly get a bus power or a, a you know wall powered drive. But with SSDs, generally speaking, you're going to do fairly well with the portable drives too. And there's some benefits to this. Um, one that I really like is OWC's Envoy Pro FX, because that is both Thunderbolt and USB, right? So that way, no matter what you connect it to, it will be able to connect to that drive. Some Thunderbolt drives, of course, are just Thunderbolt and nothing else. And if you try to connect them to a USB computer, they won't be able to read them. Uh, so that's that's a good one. And then if you want just a USB drive, I really like the Samsung T7s. Those are nice, simple drives. Uh, They work fairly well. So that's what I go with. If you don't want a a bus powered slash portable drive, the good news is these all will go, you know, full speed of their bus interface. So you're not missing out on anything. And you also don't have another power cable to contend with. But if you want a drive with a power cable, certainly you could go to Otherworld Computing and take a look at their um, their drives, they, you know, that's that we say it during the ad spots, but it's actually true. OWC is where we go to like start looking for those things. So you're going to be in good shape there. That's what I got for this one. I hope I, I hope I kept it simple. I hope I mm-hmm. kept it clear enough. Not, not necessarily simple. I don't know. Do you have anything to add, John? Nope. Okay. Uh, good. You want to take us to Andrew? Yes. So Andrew says no need for air tag in the car. And that I'm wasting my money on such a luxury. (laughs) Um, And he pointed us, um, and he makes a good point. Um, 
So this is in this a, is in reference to your comment in the last episode where you talked about how you. Uh, put an air, pa- air tag in your car, but you actually put it up on the rearview mirror to get better coverage with that much better, much yeah. better range. Yeah, right. Range. Um, Sorry. Yeah. For a price precise location. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Apple has an article and sure enough, find your parked car using maps on iPhone. In the maps app, you can get directions to your car. When you disconnect iPhone from your car's Bluetooth or CarPlay system and exit your vehicle, maps drops a parked car marker. Okay. So he's absolutely right, though. Um, there's just one thing, Dave. Um, note what it says. Uh, it, it that it requires the car's Bluetooth or CarPlay system. Guess what? That's right. Car Your car doesn't, doesn't have those. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm I'm lying because actually, as of late, I do. So um, what I have, Dave, that offers similar functionality. Uh, Roav uh, has a Bluetooth adapter that uh, does charging, it does phone calls, it does wireless audio, and it does car location. Uh, uh, the so anchor, they, so the, that's that anchor Rove thing, the smart yes. charge or whatever? Okay. Yeah. Cool. So the good news is that is a Bluetooth device. So, right. Um, so one, I do have a Bluetooth audio source. Um uh, and I, I I tested this features, yeah. So they have a thing where you know you you uh, tell it when you parked your car, or it detects as much. If you're running their app and it detects that it's all of a sudden not talking to the thing, it's like, oh, you must have parked your car. So, but does your does your phone recognize that without their app? Because like like what? Um, the, I don't think so. Okay, no. so you might be able to get it to John. This is this is I had a thought mm-hmm. for you. Uh, because if if your phone knows that it's Bluetooth to a car, mm-hmm. it will usually it's not perfect, but it will drop a pin on the map and show you where parked car is, which is amazing. It's like it, it saved my yeah. bacon, especially with rental cars where I get my rental car. I drive if I'm going to an Airbnb. The first thing I do is I stop at a grocery store to get like, you know, some like breakfast supplies and, you know, whatever, some snacks or whatever for the Airbnb. And then I Mm -hmm. emerge from the grocery store victorious with my purchase. And I have no idea what color my car is because I've (laughs) literally only just driven it. And so, you know, I run around the parking lot, hitting the button and hopefully find it. But um, but I've had the you know, if the car has CarPlay, I also use that in a rental car because I'm generally in a location. I don't know where I'm going. And so it will remember. Um, And it's great. But I was thinking, if you go on your phone into Bluetooth and find your Rove adapter uh, Mm. and hit the little I next to it, there should be a device type uh, option in there. And if you set that to car, they added this in iOS 14. You're right. But if you set that to car stereo, that might be enough to hint your phone to remember that that's a car if like if it thinks it's a car maybe it will remember the pin location oh, right, right right yep car stereo headphone hearing aid speaker other okay yeah oh now you're a car stereo <laughs> so i can't guarantee now does it um does it have a sync contacts option on that john as well or no no okay all right so like because that often seems to be a thing that cars ask for cars allow. So Mm -hmm. maybe so, maybe not, but, um, but you know, there you go. 
So, I don't know. Fun stuff. Yeah. Okay, what do we got next here? Uh, oh, yeah, Les pointed out something interesting to us, John. Les says, um, have you noticed that all Apple TV remotes have the volume controls on the right side as you look down at them, where every other remote in the world has the volume control on the left side? Any idea why? I have no idea, but he's right. I checked all the remotes in my house. He's absolutely right. Like, what is it with Apple and this stuff? Like, why did Apple decide that remotes would have, like, need to be switched? I don't get it. Let us know. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com if you have the answer. You heard him. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com. I said feedback at MacGeekUp.com because I want to know why Apple decided to do it this way. It's bizarre. Anyway. All right. Um, you want to take us to Adam, John? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got lucky on this one. Yes, you did. Well, I know you didn't get lucky, man. You like this is this is experience. I've done this sort of I've done this sort of programming before, so I, I yeah. was pretty sure. Yeah. Um, here's an issue I'm encountering that I haven't heard from anybody else. I have a new M1 Mac Mini running the current Big Sur 11.3.1. I have two-factor authentication turned on turned on on my Gmail Google. Uh oh. I seem to have lost John. I'm going to pause things. All right. John is back. That was weird. All right. Where did I leave off? Um, Uh, You know what? Start from the top with Adam. That's fine, man. All right. Um, Adam says, here's an issue I'm encountering. I haven't heard from anybody else. I have a new M1 Mac Mini running the current Big Sur 11.3.1. I have two-factor authentication turned on on my Gmail slash Google accounts. When I need to log in on the mini, it tells me to go to my phone and approve the login. When I open the Gmail app to do so, I I see the screen below. See attached. Uh, There's a couple of issues here. I'm not on an Intel Mac, nor am I running 10.15.7 Catalina, which is what the screen says. Um, I did do a migration from an Intel Mojave MacBook Pro when I got the mini, but I believe I haven't. Uh, but I believe I have all my apps nativized by now. Have you seen this before? Any idea how to correct it? It's not of any major consequence. I can approve the login every time. It's just curious why things aren't quite lining up properly. It may be fine now, but I don't want to get caught. Um, yeah, so it will come up and say, uh, yeah, device Intel Mac OS 10, um, and also the location, um, a lot of two factor, uh, Things will uh, ask you those or show you that and uh, just to help you trust them. <laughs> um, but he's okay. Um, here's the thing, Dave. Um, one way that a server, uh, a web server, can try to tell what machine you are running is something called the user agent. So this is a little, it's, it's basically just a line of text that it will send to the web server. I think we lost John again, or I lost him. Maybe I'm having connection issues today. We will see how long it takes to bring things back. It could be based on what people in the chat room are saying. It's definitely uh, seems to be on my end. But what's weird is I'm getting streams from elsewhere. No problem. Okay, so this time it definitely is John. 
I don't know. I'm seeing this in the chat room. I'm going to pause the audio again. John, are you back? John, are you back? Do you hear me? Okay, you're back again. You you were frozen. We, yeah, we lost each other again. This is very interesting. So I don't know. It's hard to troubleshoot which is which because I'm getting reports from the chat room that uh, either you cut out or I cut out. But And that was on the first one. So on the video, yeah, it's maybe seems like, uh, but what's weird is I'm seeing other connections like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Maybe my connection to our, uh, our melon server is cutting out. So, um, you're right, John, it, it, what you were explaining, depending on whether you're watching on the video stream or, or listening to the audio, most of you are listening to the audio. So we'll, we'll prioritize that, uh, here just based on, on sheer numbers alone. But uh, it, you're right that it, it just sends this uh, this stream or this this bit of text and that bit of text may not have been updated by the developer, a.k.a. Apple. And so, John, I checked this on mine. And sure enough, my M1 mini reports Mozilla 5.0 Macintosh Intel Mac OS 10, 10, 15, 7. And then it says very, very far at the end, it talks about Apple WebKit 605.115 and then says version 14.1.1 Safari 605.1.15. So uh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's just sending the wrong data. It's, it's sending old data, I think, is the is the right. Hmm. I think that would be the right way to say it. Um. Now, here's something you could try to see if you can get the correct results, Dave. Um, a little tangent, but I think a useful one. Sure. Uh, I really would like to know what happens here. So um, if you go into Safari, Advanced, Show Develop Menu in Menu Bar. Um, and this is a cool menu for developers. So you don't have to be a developer um, to do what we want here, but there's a whole bunch of stuff here. Um, one of the choices, Dave, is user agent. And there's a whole bunch of choices there. I, I'm curious what happens if you change it to another one. So it's normally set to something called default, um, which should be, <laughs> but is not correct. Right. Um, in in uh, Safari on your M1 for some strange reason. But you can set it to other things. I, I'd be curious what results you get. If you say like Firefox, Mac OS, for example, is one choice or Google Chrome, Mac OS, see, right. or see what other browsers do. Um, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I should I will check this with the M1 versions of like Google Chrome and uh, and Microsoft Edge to see which way those go. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. OK, Um and we'll see what the connection is. I'm. I think based on what people are telling us, John, that um, that it's a that it's an issue with my connection. At least my connection to Melon uh, dropping out, and so I, which Melon is the um, the streaming provider that we well the streaming video provider that we use, but it's also what we use for our our VoIP call between us. So, yeah. All right. Um, Hopefully now I've got I've got two pings running in the background, John. So we'll see if uh, if it cuts out again. I should be able to to see if I if it's if it's internal with my provider or external, which is always fun. 
Uh, jumping to last week, we talked a lot about uh, backups and online backups. And listener Mark chimed in with something. He said, um, don't forget about Code 42, which we used to know as Crash Plan. He says, uh, I've been using them for years at $10 per month, unlimited storage. It is a great deal. And they have a very easy to use uh, GUI. He says, I have over 12 terabytes stored with them so far. And that's interesting. I, you know, for some reason, John, I had, I thought crash plan had just stopped. Maybe they just stopped marketing to home users and, and focused on, on corporate users or whatever. But, uh, but 10 bucks a month, I mean, that's more expensive than you're going to pay for, you know, a backblaze type of thing where it, I think that was like 60 bucks a month. So, um, but or sorry, 60 bucks a year, not, not a month. That, that, that would be different. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. Crash plans out there. So thank you for sharing that, Mark. Thanks for reminding us. I, I indeed had completely forgotten about them. And then uh, similarly, listener David said, um, I listened to the latest episode about backups and I've had my own journey on this. What I used to do uh, on my Mac mini or MacBook pro was I would, Carbon copy clone to an external drive. I would time machine to a drive on my network. I would iCloud drive. So syncing things uh, because all my devices have this by default. I would use Synology drive uh, to sync things to my Synology. And then I would have certain folders and content backed up from my Synology to some cloud-based service like Amazon S3 or Wasabi or something. That's what I used to do. He says what I do now. I have time. I have iCloud drive on my devices. And I have time machine to a, a drive on my network. He says, I know I've cut it down a lot. He says, I've recently had to nuke and pave my Mac mini and just to clean up my MacBook pro and did so without referring to or restoring from any of my backups. He says, I had been religiously making my backups for years, but I was able to restore the OS reinstall apps. And once connected to my iCloud accounts, be back up and running in maybe a few hours at most. The OS install taking up the vast majority of that time. He says, we literally don't have much of anything that is truly local only now and thing and only on one device. He says things like photos, contacts, email, documents, passwords, etc. are all either on our Synology or on iCloud. So synced somewhere. Sure, he says it's a bit of a hassle to reinstall apps and re-log in, but compared to a restore of a computer, there really isn't any time saved, at least not for my UK use case. He says, I know it seems sacrilege to say we don't really need to do backups anymore, but as long as my content is somewhere safe, uh, and he says safe, of course, is a relative term. He says, but for us, I just don't see the purpose for what we do. Um he says, I say this with reluctance and didn't come to these decisions lightly. I've been burned multiple times and lost so much data over the years because backups failed. DVDs wouldn't read. Discs would fail, etc. He says, however, I also believe that we are in an entirely different world today. And given that just about everything is online or synced to the cloud, uh, a lot of what I would normally back up is just already right there. So this is an interesting thing, John, because I don't think David is wrong. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop making my backups. But it doesn't mean he's wrong. Like, when was the last time I actually needed to get something out of a backup? It's been a long time. And he's right. Like, if I if this Mac just died right here, I mean, it would be a pain in the neck. It's the configuration of it that would be the the thing that I would like to restore from the clone. 
you know, uh, but other than that, I mean, all my data is there. So, yeah, I don't know. Backups aren't as necessary as they once were. So, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I did get burned one time when um, Apple introduced the uh, uh, sync your documents to the the cloud feature. Yeah. For whatever reason, I don't know what went wrong, but some of it didn't make it over, and I I lost it. So, uh, fortunately... I went back in time and was able to get it from time machine. Yeah. So, um, that's the last catastrophic event I had. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So now I err on the side of, of, uh, redundancy. And so any, uh, my documents folder gets backed up all over the place. It gets backed up the time machine. I use um, um, Synology Drive to put it on my NAS, and it's also in the cloud. And then I think I actually uh, copy it over to another cloud service as well, Dropbox or whoever, OneDrive. Sure, yeah. Um, no, there's nothing wrong with being safe, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but, but David's point is interesting. Like, I, I'm not going to change any of my habits here, but I, after reading his email, I know, I mean, now it's going to be in my head. So I'm really going to be aware of how much do I actually use my backups? And I kind of think I, like you, you know, you need to wait until you have something catastrophic happen and then decide, okay, what did it take to recover from this? And did I use my backups or did I just rely on all the stuff that's synced? I know we used to say, I think what I think what's safe to say here, and I'll, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it. We used to say that sync is not backup. I think we need to stop saying that. I think sync definitely is mm-hmm. a, a form of backup uh, with all the you know versioning that happens with sync. The immediate uh, the, the immediate sync of it makes sync very much a part of our backup strategy these days. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. hey, it's a copy of something on another machine. To me, that's a backup. Yeah. And especially if it's synced to the cloud, it's off site. So it, you know, it mm. adds, I mean, it could be on site and off site if you've got multiple devices and, you know, a, some cloud server somewhere, either iCloud or, you know, whatever else, Dropbox or something. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 It's different now than it, than it used to be. So cool. All right. You want to, uh, you want to take us to Michael? Yes. So Michael says, I'm looking for some purchasing advice. My mid-2007 21-inch iMac is long overdue for replacement. Yes, it still works. Needs a little push now and then. I've been waiting for the M1 version, and now that it's here, and exactly the same as the M1 Mini. Well, not exactly. We'll go into that in a moment. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure which way to go. The new iMac will have a great monitor of that, I'm sure. Depending on which monitor I would purchase for a Mini, the price is not a lot more for the iMac when you look at adding a webcam, keyboard, and mouse. Uh, there are so many choices of monitors. It's confusing. I've decided on a 27-inch in size and think 4K is the way to go. I think a display with USB-C is a good choice for the future. Uh, I'm in Canada, and this can restrict my choices. Um, and then he gives us uh, his choices. Um so we'd like a high PPI, yes, of course. Um, but I think any of these. So, so he lists um, three monitors here, Dave. So the 4K monoprice 27-inch Crystal Pro, which I think is the one that you have, 
Um, he also found a 4K Philips 27-inch. Um, yeah, so, uh, okay, you know, 27-inch. Sure. Um, I'm curious whose tube they're using. I'm pretty sure Monoprice, at least the one that you and I have, I think they're using an LG tube. I'm wondering if Felix makes their own or or not. And then a 4K we, Dell. We, we, should, we should replace the word tube with glass. They don't mm-hmm. use any tubes, right? Right. Glass, not tube. But you're right. Yeah, I think you're right that it is LG. Yeah, that's right. Panel or, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, all right, uh, a 4K Philips... Um, and then a, a 4K Dell, and actually I've used Dell in the past, even on a Mac, and uh, and they're 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 really nice too. Yeah. So, um, uh, I mean, among them, Dave here, I mean, uh, the monoprice I have here is I'm very happy with, and it's you know uh, UHD, yeah, it does UHD, it's 4K, you know, everything looks great. Um, as far as the machines here, um, I would think most most of the reviews that I've seen. Um, say that they're pretty much equivalent. I think there's some small differences from from uh, write-ups that I've seen. I think the biggest difference is the ports that come on each one. You may just want to consider your port needs. Though you're you're probably okay because you know they both have I think Thunderbolt and USB-C and all that. Yeah. But in different numbers. Um, and I think you can tweak one of them. I think you can have one with one less GPU with the mini. Is that true? Uh, you can do that with all of them i Mm -hmm. i think there was there was an option well you might be right the imac i'll let me check um because yeah the imac may not let you buy with the one less gpu but i thought it did so i'm looking at the tech specs of the imac here yeah you can buy the imac with the in blue green pink or silver with seven or eight cores on the GPU and then yellow, orange and purple only come in the eight core GPU version. So. So, yeah, it's all the same. You can buy it with the seven core GPU or the eight core GPU. I'm not I don't. I'm yeah. Not, yeah. But um, but a bigger screen is better. And yeah, you know, when I saw the iMac, I thought that screen's a little small for my taste. Same. Yeah. I'm very happy with the mini with the 5K display. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, as far as displays go, I've got the a couple of the monoprice displays, the, the you know, the various flavors of well, I will find they, they you know, they they change their versions pretty regularly. Um, so the one that I have is slightly different, I think, from the one that you have, John, and would be slightly different from the one that you could buy today. But they basically are all sort of in the same realm. You know, it's 4K. 4K and UHD are the same thing, right? Like UHD says 4K. And so um, 27-inch 4K gives you a nice, uh, good resolution on the screen. I've tried the ViewSonic screen, which has a slightly nicer panel, uh, than the the ones in the monoprice screen, it's certainly noticeable. Um, you know, side by side maybe, but it's not. It's like depending if you're unless you're doing something where you really need that super fast refresh rate or something, it doesn't really matter. Um, of course, the big difference is when you jump from any one of these, you know, 4K screens to the LG 5K screen, which I did with the Mac Mini. Of course, you'll pay two and a half times the price for that. So be ready for that. Um, but it's, it's a huge difference. And because I was coming from a 5k iMac 
to that Mac Mini, I knew that I would like I would not be happy with my main screen not being 5K. So my main screen's 5K. I spoiled myself. But hey, you know, I got the Mac Mini for a yeah. Sale. So, yeah. The only thing I would toss in is, um, so I found the connecting to my Intel Mini, Dave, I found that HDMI wasn't terribly responsive and that it took a while for the screen to power up and it to negotiate, you know, probably all the copy protection nonsense. Um, yeah. um I got an Amazon Basics USB-C to DisplayPort cable. Bam. It comes on immediately. Interesting. Now, here's what's funny, Dave, though. Makes sense. That yeah. The funny thing is, is I was looking, um, um, I was looking in the system uh, information to see where it would show up. It didn't show up in usb and it didn't show up in thunderbolt and i'm like mm, that's kind of weird but in displays oh. for this display it says connection type thunderbolt slash display port yeah that makes sense it, yeah i it, it's weird you're right it should because it's not it's not a thunderbolt or a usb device right it is mm. using because those ports support thunderbolt usb and display port Right. Mm. So that it, it like, that is a different thing. So yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I will, I will put a link to the latest monoprice display out there, but yeah, I found that, that HDMI can be wonky too. It's possible that it's the, um, the cable. Um, but I think on yours, there was some flavor of the Mac mini that would only do like 30 frames a second over HDMI mm. and would do 60 over display port, I think. So like that, that also might impact your decision. Mm. Yeah. But then of course, as Jeff in the chat room points out, he's like, what about the LG ultra fine that Apple sells? And yeah, it's gorgeous. It's, it's three times the price. <laughs> you can find that mono price display for three Oh nine 99. I got my, um, my, uh, I guess you can get the LG UltraFine comes in both a 4K and a 5K display. The um, the the 5K new is like 1,200 bucks. The 4K is 700. I have not tried the 4K. Uh, I'm sure it is gorgeous. Uh, I'm not sure if it's worth the difference. Um, yeah, that that would be interesting, right? Like why? How much better could it be? My guess is not better enough for me uh, would be my um, would be my guess. If you're going to mm -hmm. bother to spend that kind of money, you know, go spend it on the 5K display. But I could be wrong. You, can, you folks can let us know. We told you feedback at MacGeekab.com. All right. Where are we here? We've got some uh, we've got more questions. Are we good on that one, John? Yeah, I was looking. um it seems everything is 60 hertz. So I'm looking at Mac Tracker, Mac Mini 2018. Everything okay. does seem to be 60 hertz. Maybe it was the older one that was... Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. And, nope. and actually, they refer to it as a Thunderbolt 3 digital video output. Okay. Fair. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. All right. Um, Paul had... I, I love this from Paul. It's a, it's a great little geeky thing. We're getting towards the end of the episode here. So we, we reserve the right to get a little geeky. He says, um, I'm wondering if you can help with a time sen sensitive question that covers two of Dave's favorite passions, music and geekery. Uh, he says, um, 
It all has to do with virtual grade five music theory and the exam that my teenage daughter will be taking in early June. Because of COVID-19, it was always going to be an online exam. And because all the revision sessions and prep work with tutors have been done via Zoom, I presumed Zoom would also be used on the day of the exam. Today, I found out otherwise. The uh, he's in the UK and he says the exam board here are setting the exam ABRSM. Uh, they instructed parents that we must download and install a piece of software called RP now in order for our kids to take the exam. I checked out the software and was horrified. Uh, he says uh, all of all the things the software does, it includes a key logger. Uh, it installs its own secure private browser. It allows the examiner to take over the Mac's webcam, enabling a 360 view of the room. It requires Flash. Uh, he says, I'm pretty sure it probably loads dodgy kernel extensions. I'm sure it won't be signed. And he says, and no doubt it would require whole system access. When I contacted tech support to see if I could run it on a Chromebook, which I could burn, a.k.a. nuke and pave as soon as the exam was over, I was assured that the app is safe and secure and was told it would only run on a PC or a Mac. As an aside, tech support also said, I can only presume with a straight face, that I would need to turn off any virus protection I might be running, as the virus protection software would think my Mac was infected with malware. No kidding, he says. <laughs> he says, the reason for all this preamble is, my daughter's been working really hard for months and is set to get a really good grade for her exam. Because of the current situation, she can only take it online. Given that I have to run this malware <clears throat> software, the best option I can think of is to use one of my older Macs, set it up a non a fresh non-admin account, download the software, get online get via my guest network, uh, and then after my daughter has taken the exam, I could delete the account and then nuke and pave the entire Mac. Uh, he says... If I wipe the Mac and start from scratch, do you think the reformatted Mac will be free of any nasty remnants from this? Or do you have any other ideas? So, yes, if you take that path that you described, Paul, a nuke and pave would almost certainly uh, I would feel very comfortable that that would get rid of any of this. But I feel like there might be another answer if it were me. I would install some sort of virtualization software on my Mac. Either, you know, if, if you don't have Parallels or VMware, VirtualBox will probably do what you need. Um, and I would just do it that way. Uh, that way you're compartmentalizing the whole thing and you are essentially able to nuke and pave without having to pave afterwards, right? Because you can just delete the virtual container when the exam is over after your daughter has aced the exam. We're sending good vibes out for that. We know that's going to happen. So after she aces her exam, you delete the container and you're done. Your Mac has, has, remains, you know, unmessed with and you're good to go. So that's mm -hmm. that. That's how I would do it. But a separate Mac Assuming the software will run on a separate Mac, would it be another way to go? So, what do you? Yeah, think? or boot off a clone. Sure. Just, yeah, make a clone dedicated to just exam, and then when you're done, yeah, wipe it, wipe the drive. Simple. Um, though I like your VM thing, and actually, you know, I've done that in the past, so. I went through a phase at one point where I would goof around with the, so, you know, you get those pop-ups saying, oh, your Mac's infected, call this number so we can, you know, fix it for you. And I'm like, sure. yeah, let me play with one of these guys. Um, and so I called and, you know, and then, you know, they asked me to do a log me in or something like that session. And, and um, they, at that point I actually cut them off, but they, what, if I had wanted them to continue 
what I would have said to them eventually is, uh, by the way, you're 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 attacking a VM, so you know, nice try. Yeah. Like, what do you think? I'm an idiot. No. Yeah. What do you think? Right. Yeah. Exactly. No. That's if you if you have some free time and you want to play with those types of people, uh, a VM would be the least unsafe way to do it. I don't want to say that it's completely. Like you definitely need to keep your wits about you in those scenarios mm-hmm. for sure. You know, but, but a VM certainly rules out a lot of harm that they could do for sure. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, but I like the idea of an external, like just boot from a clone. I would say, and and several in the chat room are also saying this. Once you boot up, eject the internal drive because it will likely uh, try to auto mount or or auto mount. Do not let it auto mount if it asks uh, or do not let it mount mm-hmm. if it asks, I should say. And if it does mount, eject it. That way, when you're installing and running the software, it's not it has less of a chance of being able to touch that drive. So, yeah, interesting. All right. Uh, well, we're on the music thing, mm-hmm. sort of. So we'll we'll go with Keith here. Keith, uh, Keith asked. He said, in the past, I used GarageBand to change the pitch of audio files. If the band I play in wanted to cover a song in a different key, I would load the song into GarageBand, make the necessary changes, and then distribute the track for everyone else to use while practicing. It was very easy. However, I only used GarageBand a few times per year and would find that every time I opened it up, Major UI and functionality changes had taken place, causing me to have to Google my way through the task at hand. Apple's made it increasingly difficult to accomplish this pitch change of audio tracks. I used to be able to accomplish accomplish this with three or four mouse clicks. They are now burying this functionality deep in the application, making it unnecessarily complicated. Do you have any idea why? Well, no, I don't have any idea why. Um, You'd have to ask the project manager at Apple that question. But... What we offer here are solutions or at least workarounds. And we definitely have had our share of workarounds with GarageBand over the years. GarageBand, for those who might remember, used to allow us to program chapters into our podcasts. That went away. Uh, we do it differently now. We use Auphonic to do it, which is great. For you, I think a similar path is in order. Don't mess with GarageBand. Check out Capo which is an entirely different kind of app. Uh, it's from super mega ultra groovy.com and capo is built to help you with exactly what you're doing. Not only will it let you like alter the pitch, it'll let you alter the speed of a song. Uh, it'll show you the chords in a song. Uh, so rehearsing things, if you want to slow it down and like practice it, you know, woodshed it a little bit uh, slower and then speed it up and get better at it. You can do that. It figures out the time signature and it mostly gets all of this right. So uh, Capo is definitely the tool I would use for this. Uh, I wouldn't even consider using GarageBand. I realize I'm not solving your problem with how to make GarageBand easier, but the way to make this process easier is to go get Capo. It's available for the Mac, iPhone, iPad, and um Chris Lissio, who makes it, is like, he's a genius with this stuff. So I highly, highly, highly recommend it. That's the path to take. So if you, and, and this true for anybody else, if if you're learning an instrument, capo is awesome because you can take your favorite song and break it down and actually learn, like get into the guts of it. And capo takes you there. So 
It's good. All right. I got one last one. John, you have any thoughts on that before we, uh, Okay, I got one last one in the in the music category here, and that comes from listener Patrick. Um, I don't think I have an answer for this, though, John. So we're going to call this a geek challenge. Again, feedback at MacGeekUp.com. Patrick says, do you know any way to make an iOS device continue to play background music, either on the music app or Spotify, while I search non-audio sites like news? Uh, It would be great to use it for background music while doing that or writing in notes or whatever. Every time I select one of those options, my music stops. Um, So if you're jumping to an app, like, first of all, I I feel like I might not be understanding this correctly because jumping to a different app, music keeps playing in the background for me. Uh, That's part of what iOS lets it do. And that's true for the Apple music app. It's true for Spotify for me. Um, that definitely happens, but if the app that I jump to wants to make any kind of sounds at all, then the music will stop. Like if I jump to the news app and there's videos or whatever, obviously boom, music stops. Um, so the question I suppose is, is there a way to keep the music going? We know that it is possible because if you're listening to music and directions are happening on your phone, either from Apple's own app or from third party, you know, apps like Google maps or Waze, the music can keep going. It just ducks it down when it has to say the directions to you. And then it brings it back up. Uh, that also happens with other apps like it, in, and it's smart enough, like overcast, uh, the podcast app is programmed to know that it should stop and not just duck it down because it's a conversation. Uh, generally it's going to be playing podcasts. So, I, like I, I, there is a way, but um, but I'm not sure that there's a way we get to control that. So, but it may be some third party app out there. It is built to do things that way. So let us know. That's that's um that's what I got for today, John. I don't know. Do you have feedback any <laughs> at macgeekab.com? It is. It's feedback at macgeekab.com. That's what it's going to take, man. That's where. Now one thing uh, I did notice, though. Yeah. Sometimes I get more audio than I expect. Oh, well, when I was when I was connecting, um, so normally uh, I'll have the the volume off on my phone and I'll be gaming, and I don't want to hear the game music because um, it gets annoying after a while. Um, but yeah, if if I connect my phone to this Bluetooth adapter, um, and then I go to the game, it starts playing music, and I'm like, why is it doing that when I told it? Be quiet. I don't know. The the sound oh. rules are kind of unusual. I, I that's perhaps the best summation of this uh, that we've had. <laughs> the sound rules are kind of unusual. I'll go with that. That's uh that's what I got for today. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds like you got a lot of activity out there this morning. It's exciting. Hey, we are recording on Friday again, not on Sunday. So definitely you have mm-hmm. more traffic on your road on Friday than Sundays. That's that's for sure. But that oh, makes, and the uh, and the governor said, get out there and, and commerce and and right. Oh, that's true. Yeah, right. Like yeah, he explicitly said, up. get out, get out of the house and like do stuff. Yeah, it's good <laughs> for us. Yeah, air ourselves out a little bit. Yeah, it's good. All right. Stay safe out there, folks, as you are uh, airing yourself out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, good. 
All right. That's what I got for the episode. Let's see. I'm trying to think. Do we have, uh, of course, thanks to our, our sponsors. Make sure to check them out. Fastmail.com slash MGG to save 10%. I, I really, I meant what I said during the ad spot. Like, I am I am a convert, and I am a happy convert now. And then uh, get your $100 in free credit uh, at Linode.com slash MGG. Do you have anything else to add, John, before we, uh, before we say goodbye here? No. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Make sure to check out MacGeekGub.com slash sponsors. Uh, of course, our thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the episode from us to you. Thanks to all of our premium subscribers. MacGeekGub.com slash premium. We have a fix for the app. My apologies. I meant to put it in the episode. But if you open a notification from the app, it will fix it. And then we have an update coming, too. So it's there. Anything else to share, John? Um, well, it sounds like if you get the update, you won't get caught. Made up.